Thanks for joining us at Mountainside Anywhere. I'm Pastor Lyle, and we've been praying for you, praying that God will use this teaching to reveal himself to you in his word. Through it, may you see him more clearly, know him more fully, and trust him more deeply. As always, we're here to serve, so please reach out through mountainside.online. If there's a specific way that we can come alongside to pray, help, or encourage you throughout the week. Join me now as we continue this study in the book of Mark. Amen, amen. Well, I've just already been blessed to, just to be a part of what God's doing here today. And, uh, and now I just, uh, I'm going to ask the Lord for wisdom as, uh, you know, you sometimes prepare an amount of material and then as the time is going by, I'm just like, Lord, give me wisdom and and how to communicate exactly what he desires to be communicated today uh, as we find ourselves continuing our series in the book of Mark chapter 4. So would you pray with me for just a second? Father God, would you just give me wisdom? I know that, Lord, it's uh, your plan, your purposes, and the hearts of your people today, and some who, um, Lord, have uh, hearts uh, that are skeptical, that are hard, that are um, struggling today with even contemplating what they've heard so far today, and that I've just heard this big group of people worshiping you. Lord, I pray that you would uh, permeate the hearts of, of everyone that's here, that you would do a work in each one of our hearts. Um, Lord, give me clarity and, and wisdom and humility, and Lord, may I just not be, I just be the, the foolish vessel that you use to continue to preach your word. And may it be the power of your word today that changes people. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple years ago, um, the Lord gave me the opportunity to be a part of uh, helping and hosting um, marriage conferences. And uh, this particular year, I remember that uh, it was it was kind of bizarre because with the same the same music the same content all of it and then the same speaker gets up and shares the same content of the word of God and yet I remember that particular year um, that we had that retreat because there were there were stark differences in the response to the word of God that weekend. We had a couple that was there that weekend that at the end of the weekend, they came up and they shared their story and, uh, and found out they came that weekend planning to go home and get divorced. Already planned. Paperwork's already put together. And God um, just uh, supernaturally put that family back together that weekend. The same weekend. A husband walked out on his wife and his family and didn't come back. The same weekend, sat under the same teaching of the word of God, two drastically different responses to the word of God. We find ourselves in Mark chapter 4. We've gone through what Jesus is doing in his public ministry. We have uh, already seen these, this massive movement of people who are there really for the miracles, not as much the message, but it's created a movement. 
And now the leaders who um, hate him, um, just in last week, they, they are talking about how he's from the devil. And Jesus starts already talking in parables uh, in response to what they have been saying about him. And last week, Pastor Dave opened up some of those passages in Mark chapter 3. And if you remember, he was talking in, in parables where it's like, can the, uh, somebody go into a strong man's house and rob him without first binding him up? And um, in, in telling a truth within a story. And today in Mark chapter 4, we find ourselves uh, just sitting in a parable that Jesus teaches. I want to read for you um, what he has to say here. But when I start the parable in Mark 4, and you may already know what it is, and, and you're already picking up on the direction that I'm going with the opening illustration. Different hearts respond to the same word of God in different ways. Do you ever think, like, I wonder how weird it was for the disciples who were believers, followers. Why isn't everybody responding like us? Why is it that they can see the same Jesus, hear the same words, and yet some obviously hate him? They want to kill him already early on in this ministry. And God gives us this this parable, once again in chapter 4, verse 1, and this the scripture will be on the screen a little bit later, but right now you can either listen or turn in your copy of the word, it's fine. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 1, just going to read through a few of these verses. Once again, Jesus is teaching by the lakeshore, a very large crowd soon gathers around him. So he got into a boat. Then he sat in the boat while the people remained on the shore, and he taught them by telling many stories in the form of parables such as this one. Down in verse 11 and 12, he tells, uh, in replying to the disciples who were asking uh, about this parable, he responds in verse 11, you're permitted to understand the secret or the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but I use parables for everything that I say to outsiders so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Isaiah prophesied, and here's what Isaiah said, when they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and be forgiven. He's saying to them, okay, so I'm speaking in parables. I'm going to talk about that in a second. I'm speaking in parables because of the outsiders, those who uh, scripture from Isaiah said, you can uh, see but not learn anything. You can hear and not understand anything. And he's saying then to the disciples in verse 11, but you guys, you can see and learn. You can hear and understand, but only the end of what Isaiah said, otherwise they will turn to me and be forgiven. Talking about the Messiah. There is a turning that happens if that repentance takes place. Why? It talks about at the end, forgiveness happens. So if a turning of the heart toward Jesus away from the direction that they were once traveling happens, repentance, turn from your sin and toward Jesus and receive forgiveness for those sins. It only happens through Jesus. If that happens, which for these guys sitting there listening, he's saying, you guys can see, you can understand because you've received forgiveness. You have turned your hearts toward me. We know that 
That means even though the Holy Spirit hadn't come yet because Jesus hadn't died, buried, rose again, and then went, he had to go to be with the Father in order for the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, to come, someone who is even greater for, for us. Now the Holy Spirit can dwell in us after Jesus ascended. The Holy Spirit comes to those who believe. So if believing happens, repentance, forgiveness, then the Holy Spirit comes and is a part of that person's life. But if not... You can see on your screen what 1 Corinthians 2.14 says. Without the Holy Spirit, there's a lack of understanding. It says, but people who aren't spiritual, there's no spirit, spiritual life in them. Still, according to Ephesians 2, they're dead and their trespasses and sin. There's no spiritual quickening or life. People who aren't spiritual, no Holy Spirit, can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds what? like foolishness to them. They can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual have the Holy Spirit. Can they understand what the Spirit means? And he said, for those people, I have to speak in parables because they don't understand. Today, Jesus talks about the parable of the soils. A parable, according to, there's a great definition, so I want to share it with you. Danny Aiken, some of you guys know Danny. Uh, he says, a parable is a teaching device in which a principle is concealed and a truth is revealed, giving the hearer first sight and then insight. Really cleverly put together there. There is an underlying principle and a story that is told. And as they look and you see and comprehend the story, truth is revealed out of that story, which contained a principle. You first see the picture, so to speak, and then there is understanding, uh, sight, and then insight. Uh, I've, I've heard many people talk about this, like you go up and you look through a window at a picture of something, and you look out and you see and you understand kind of the storyline of, of what's going on by looking through that window. But after you perceive with sight what you've seen in the picture, the window becomes a mirror reflecting how does the truth within that picture impact me. Sight first, and then the truth is revealed insight into your life. And so Jesus chooses to teach this way, like here is a story about a principle, and those who can see and hear understand the truth, but he chose to talk about and teach, especially those who are outsiders in the form of parables. Now, uh, just quickly, I'm going to throw up a couple slides here just so that we, we, we've heard of parables, but did you realize how many there actually are? These are 37 parables all taught just by Jesus. But then outside of Jesus teaching parables uh, in the Old Testament, there are also nine different parables in scripture, like um, when Nathan tells the story of the young lamb and the the poor man whose was, his lamb was stolen by the rich guy, and Nathan's telling David, and David gets all angry. It says in Scripture that it's a parable that he told him. He told him the story containing a principle, and then all of a sudden at the end, David, you are that man. Truth is revealed. He goes from looking through a picture at a mirror. It's you've got to do something about this, okay? Just a couple general observations I just want to, I just want to say. It's interesting to me that parables of those 37 that Jesus talked about, 35% of all gospel teaching in the New Testament is in parables. 35% of gospel teaching. Uh, parables reveal more truth 
uh, to those with receptive ears and hide truth from those with dull ears. Uh, They're always about everyday objects, events, or circumstances that illustrate spiritual truths, but usually have a new twist or turn in them. They stimulate thinking. They cause the hearer to uh, carefully contemplate what they're listening to. They're designed or intended specifically to be pretty provocative at times, surprising, shocking even. But parables give us insight into the nature, the coming, the growth, and consummation of the kingdom of God. A few weeks from now, Pastor Dave's going to take two weeks specifically uh, and going to combine some of the parables that we're about to hit in Mark 4 and talk specifically about the kingdom for a couple weeks. Parables usually, but not always, they focus on a single truth, which is why it's important we don't treat them like allegories, where all of a sudden we're trying to find a little tiny meaning in every little part of the story. Typically, it's one big meaning or big point. Ultimately, though, parables draw attention to Jesus as God's Messiah, and it calls us to make a personal decision concerning him. So now let me go back to the parable in which Uh, he's going to share. So now let's look out through the window at the picture of what Jesus is trying to paint. He taught them by telling them many stories in the form of parables such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed and he scattered it across the field. Some of the seed fell on a footpath and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on the shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plant, so they produced no grain. Still, other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even a 100 times as much as had been planted. And he said, anyone with ears to hear, listen and understand. Before we continue on to the Jesus giving, here's the meaning of it, uh, let's just walk through that really quick. Many of you, have, have, if you've grown up in church, this was a Sunday school lesson you can remember, and all the way back in my day, you remember the flannel graph pictures of each of these things that when some of you are like, what are you talking about flannel graph? He says, listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed and he scattered it as he scattered it across the field. Uh, Listen, the very first thing, he's calling attention. He's sitting down in this boat. There's multitudes of people out there, and he's crying out for them to listen to him. Listen. It's a continual, continual listening with an idea of obedience behind it. In fact, there's a word that's connected to it, which would make it like hyper-listening. Now, if Jesus was doing it today, he would have told them all, hey, Uh, take out your AirPods and listen, right? It's the conversation I have with my teenage boy every day of his life. Anybody else out there say amen. I knew there were others. Continually listen and obey is like um, hyper-listening. It's not a, uh, yeah, I I hear you, response that he's looking for. But he calls a listen to understand. He who has ears to hear, listen and understand. There's a difference when we we sit and spend some time and talk about marriage conference. You you spend some time talking about marriages and marriage relationships. There's a big difference between listening or hearing someone and listening to understand. 
And you know the difference, don't you? You certainly do when you're the one communicating that the person's not listening to understand you, right? So Jesus is calling people, listen to understand. And then he talks about, there's a farmer that goes out to plant some seed. A farmer, your version might say sower. That's how I remember memorizing this section of scripture. There's a sower. They plant seeds. The planting or the sowing has the idea of, of where we get the word broadcast from. That the, that the sower is broadcasting the seed out among the different kinds of soils that we're going to see. Scattered, broadcast. Some of the seed, then it, scripture says, fell on a footpath and the birds came and ate it. Okay, it's the first type of soil that we see. It's hard soil. The paths around this soil are, are like concrete. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun. Since it didn't have deep roots, it died. This is, the first one was the hard soil. This is the shallow soil. So uh, one person, I, I don't remember uh, where I read that, that they, they were commenting about when God created the earth, did he put all of the rocks in Israel because of how rocky it is. Um, and so it would have been very common, even as they're sitting there and they're listening, could they be looking out around and see these kinds of fields that are, or and even potentially uh, sowers that were sowing at the very time that he uses this particular story to tell a truth and a principle. Um, they would have been very uh, understanding of the hard soil and they would have been understanding of this shallow ground because there's so much limestone to where there'd be a little bit of dirt on top of, uh, uh, of the limestone and the rock. And so you can see how it would say, well, it's just this shallow, uh, this shallow amount of dirt on top of that rock. Um, notice, though, that he says at the first, some seed falls on the footpath. But then as he describes the next couple uh, types of soil, he doesn't say it's a different seed. It's other seed fell on the shell. It's all the same seed being scattered. The difference isn't the sower. The difference isn't the seed. The difference is, is the soils. Same seed falls in different kind of soil here. Now, in this situation, and probably the rocks, uh, you know, get warm by the sun, and it creates this perfect environment, and this tiny little bit of growth would happen, um, and the people listening would have completely understood that, um, yeah, but there, there's just no channel for the moisture to, to take hold and to develop an actual root system. And so that means that actual rooting will not happen and the growth will just be um, very simple. And that's why it burns up. There's no moisture. There's no channel for uh, the, the nutrients to get into this plant. Other seed, verse 7, fell among thorns. So again, same kind of seed falling in a different location. Other seed... Uh, fell among the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. It's a thorny soil, hard soil, shallow soil, thorny soil. And it says that specifically it choked out, it crowded, it pressed to the point of suffocation. Um, in case I don't forget this, I forget this point when we get to the, the meaning of it, the th there's three things that are in the, the interpretation of this. One of the three that are, are the thorns, one of them is worry. And interesting that worry comes from a word that means to strangle. So he says that th these thorns choke out, they strangle hold uh, 
And so there's not really any room or any opportunity for the seeds to take root, to germinate, and grow. There's no room, really, for new life. But then we see the good soil, the fourth kind here. Still other seed fell on fertile soil. It sprouted. It grew. Produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as he had planted. Like a good... uh, a good uh, harvest would have been like maybe seven to eight times. Like that would have been amazing. So when Jesus now says, uh, the, num- the numbers really like 30, 60, 100, this is, this is a supernatural harvesting now. Like they, this doesn't make any sense in moving from actual planting of actual seed and actual soil even if it's great soil, Jesus, you're telling me 30, 60, 100. Certainly, there's kind of part of that shock movement, the provocative statement that's within there for those who are struggling to listen. And he says, anybody who has ears to hear should listen and understand. It's very different to hear the sounds beating against your eardrums and then actually allowing those sounds to continually make an impression upon your heart. He told us to hyper-listen, to obey, to put this into practice. Reminds me of James 1.22. Don't just listen to the word. You've got to do what it says. Otherwise, otherwise you're only fooling yourselves. I memorized that as you're, you're a walking, deceived person. Deception is happening if I'm just hearing the word but not actually putting it into practice. So let me now just reread for a second here, verses 10 through 13. Later, when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples, they then heard all that he just gave, and they're like, so he's there alone with the 12 disciples and with the others who were gathered around. So there's a a gathering of people who, uh, we don't know exactly, are they all believers? Is there a mix in there? But it's the way that he responds to them would seem to believe that they are all believers. They've all turned, repented, forgive, so that they can see and hear and understand. Um, and he says to them, they, they're now, he's separated from the crowds, and they've got around, and it says that they asked him what the parables meant. Now, the original actually has the idea that it's like, uh, hey, Jesus, what about the parable? Hey, hey, Jesus, hey, hey, Jesus, how about that parable now? Can you tell, hey, Jesus, like there's this continual childlike asking, like, could you please clue us in on what you were talking about? And he says then, finally replies, however many times they they bugged him or nagged him or whatever it looked like. He says, you're permitted to understand the mysteries or the secrets of the kingdom of God, God. but I use parables for everything I say to the outsiders so that scriptures could be fulfilled. And we've read that passage earlier. A secret or mystery in the Bible is a truth which man cannot know by his own natural powers must be supernaturally revealed. Paul describes like looking through a, a, a glass darkly or there's like this veil, this fog that, that's there that you just, you can't see it clearly. You can't understand it fully until there's supernatural revelation that the spirit of God helps clear the fog, brings clarity to the truth of who God is and what he's communicating. Uh, honestly, it is a part of that why um, we, we try to be sensitive sometimes in the way that we communicate, the way we preach on Sunday mornings, because I know just like Jesus sitting there, there's outsiders every week, 
people who they hear or they see us worship and talk about Jesus, and right now you're like, it just doesn't make sense. Why are these people all here? What is this all about? And they're just, right now, the word of God is being scattered, broadcast, and it's going to fall on everyone's hearts, and it's going to find itself in one of those four descriptions of the soils, even this morning as we're broadcasting the seed of the word. But Jesus is saying to them in verse 13, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how are you going to understand all the other parables? He, at least very clearly, he's saying, you've got to understand this one. Most people think that it means that you have to understand this one in order to, to, to comprehend the rest. That might be true. I, I don't, there's even a, a little part of the, the, the kind of human thinking part of this scenario where I know that Jesus says that they're slow learners. He's, that there's another spot in scripture where he describes the disciples that way, right? Like it takes them a while to get it. Is there a little bit that he's saying, if you can't understand this, you can't understand any of them? Like, is there like a simplicity maybe to it where like, you guys have to get this one. And it's not that it's like a key that unlocks the secret code to all the other parables. Although there is truth in this that certainly applies uh, and connects to the other parables. In verse 14, he begins talking about the answer to kind of... Uh, unpacking some of the truths here. The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. Now, you, probably most of you already understood the seed that they're talking about is the word of God, the gospel, the good news of Jesus. The farmer is broadcasting this seed, planting this seed by taking God's word to other people. Jesus is doing it at the moment. I'm doing it right now in this moment. In this moment. The farmer and the sower is anybody anybody who broadcasts the word of God and the gospel. We're not talking about a different farmer. I already I stated that, but we're not talking about any different farmer. That doesn't mean that God uses a, a, this farmer is like more supernaturally gifted, and that's why the response to the soil was that this particular farmer. No, no, no. It's, it can be any farmer with the same seed, the word of God. The difference in the story has to do with the soils. It has to do with the hearts of the people that the seed falls upon. Verse 15 is the first telling of that. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. Remember, his description was the birds come. There's, there's seed that's broadcast, and there's the footpaths, the hard concrete-like areas of people who walking through those fields. There weren't, you know, there are large open fields, and there's a lot of traffic. People would go through. Uh, Pastor Dave even talked about it a couple weeks ago uh, where uh, they would go by, and they would even pick the grain. And that was one of the issues that the leaders had with, with Jesus on Sabbath. They're picking grain to eat. Um, and so there's a lot of foot traffic, and it says that uh, all that foot traffic in the seed would fall, and it's so hard that the birds could just immediately come. And he just says that the description of that is that Satan could come at once and take it away. It's describing, it's describing a hard-heartedness, a trampled heart, lots of, lots of traffic of the world that's over this heart. It's not fenced in, so it lies exposed to all the evil stompings of everything that comes along. I don't know if this is accurate or not, but I, I feel like today the foot traffic of the world in people's hearts is greater than ever. Um, and I could be wrong with that. I, I just, 
the reason I, I sense that or believe that to be true is just because of the amount of, of what we can intake from the world at a massive capacity. Uh, a few weeks back, I talked about, and I put an illustration up that kind of graphed out the amount of time people spend on devices and, and so on and so forth. And we know that that's ma- it's, it's, it's this massive amount of intake of the worldly system. And if Ephesians 2 says that the prince of power of the air that works in the children of disobedience hearts is Satan, he's the one who runs that system, that he is designed a way to be the best stealer, killer, destroyer, John 10, that he possibly can be. And the more foot traffic he can get of all of his schemes and his plans across the, the, the soil, the footpath is just getting run rampant, stomped down with whatever Satan's design for this world is. Romans 12 says, like, don't be conformed to that system, right? There's a reason why, because it creates a hard heart. It's like concrete. So the word is, is broadcast, it's scattered, and what happens when the word hits here? Satan's the one who comes and takes it away as fast as possible. I already quoted Ephesians 2, where he's the prince in power of the air, he's a deceiver, he's a stealer, John 10, a liar. He's the one who encourages pride and stubbornness and doubt in the love of sin. He's described as our adversary lurking around, seeking whom he may devour. I grew up with my mom teaching me from the time I was little. I think I probably said this a lot. Now I'm, I'm like, I've, I've been pastoring long enough or preaching long enough. Now I say these things and you're like, yeah, Lyle, I remember that. I remember that. I remember that. But um, my mom always said, uh, Lyle, like, don't become lion's food. Don't be lion's food. Don't be lion's food, right? He's lurking, seeking who may devour. But this description says hard-heartedness makes the word of God bird food. Bird food. When I was little, I remember taking, you know, dried up bread or whatever. And we go down, I grew up in Saratoga, so you go to Congress Park and you, you feed the birds. And boy, those birds are efficient. They're also a little nasty, right? <laughs> fight with each other to get that but man they are right there it's like you walk up and there's no birds it's the same story on the beach right as soon as you open like a can of uh, pringles or something it's like ah, gah, 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 gah. there they are they're like they're right there is that not a great picture of what happens when the word of god is scattered and there's a hard heart so the seed's just sitting there and all of a sudden satan with all of all of the the, the opportunity of the structure that he has in, as the prince and power of darkness, it's not, he's not omnipresent. So he's not the one there in your life and my life at the same time. No, all, all of those that are, are loyal to him are there, and they're just like those birds, just picking the seed off that hard heart as fast as possible, stealing it away. You've tried to grow grass before. You know birds are infuriating, right? They're right there, right at the moment. Stealing away what could grow up and be something amazing, new life. We need to pray for these folks' hearts. You might be here today, and this is the description of your heart. Even while the word is being spread, you're thinking about everything. Stop thinking about lunch. Listen to understand what the word of God has to say contemplate the word of God a little bit longer today, church. And ask God to plow a little deeper into your hard heart. 
Verse 16, the seed on the rocky soil. Same seed, different soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. Wow, this is amazing. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or their problems or they're persecuted for believing God's word. I just want to make a note of this. Uh, I didn't go and look at all the, the way that all the different um, versions are translated here, but it is really clear in the Greek that this passage is talking about no root system. It's not that there's some root system, which I think can confuse people trying to work through. Um, is it only the group that is 30, 60, 100 that are believers, that have believing hearts? I believe yes. I believe that it's clear that these three are not believing. There are, there are no roots that grow here. Um, Matthew 7 says that Jesus said specifically, good, good trees produce good fruit. And in none of the first three do we see any good fruit. So I don't think that there is any, I, I think it's clear that there is not a root system that grows. Um, salvation did not happen or regeneration did not happen in these first three. But what you do see in this, in this story of uh, the rocky soil message comes, they receive it, they're joy, there's something there. It's a temporary outside of appearance of a, of a change, just temporary. And the outside joy, I think, masks the internal reality. The outside joy masks the internal reality of what's not happening inside. Um, you probably, for many of you, probably you can even think of relationships and people you know that this is a, their, their story. I hope it's not any of your story. That you heard the word and all of a sudden, for whatever reason, there's this like excitement and all oh, this is cool. Like, and it's probably from a emotional and uh, what can I get from Jesus and from this church or group? Like there's some benefits to this. And so it's great until all of a sudden he describes the problems and the persecution. And it's the problems and persecution that squash this all out. Paul defines, catch this, this is huge for all of the points related to this seed. Paul defines the gospel as, in Romans 1, the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The power is the word that we get dynamite from. The, the germinating power is like dynamite. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So the gospel has an intrinsic supernatural power, but the person's heart in this situation lacks true belief. The heart of the problem is the heart, the soil, not the gospel seed or the gospel sower. This person faces problems and persecution. This describes a constant pressure from others, even to the point of being continually harassed with the design to injure that is the problems in person. This isn't just light. Um, we hear stories all the time and connected to Timothy initiative of, of people who make professions of faith in foreign countries, especially in Muslim or Hindu countries, and they are immediately disowned by their family and persecuted. The pressure is immense, and the persecution is designed to injure. Now, in some of those cases, we hear the testimonies of these people are unbelievable. Their heart was dynamited into life, and they are not stopping for anything. Their belief determined their behavior in a major way. But there are some that it says that they 
fall away. They fall away as soon as they have this problems and persecutions. That word fall away is the word that we get uh, scandalous from. Scandalous or scandalized. The idea is that, and I didn't, until studying it this time, I didn't see this picture. But it's as though the word of God itself causes like a scandal in their life. When something is a scandal, you are uh, disgusted and revolted by it. So it's almost as if the picture is they, they came in like this exciting, joyful, this is amazing. And all of a sudden, the word of God is telling them something about their life. Maybe take up your cross and follow me. I mean, Jesus went to Peter and Andrew. We talked about a few weeks back. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me surrender, and I will make you. He's changing them. That's in biblical terms, that's sanctification, becoming more like Jesus over time, changing from glory to glory, Paul said. I'm becoming more like Jesus, more like Jesus. So I first surrender, and then under sanctification, and it, the whole point is, and I will make you fishers of men. He wants them to be, even though it's fishers, the idea of being a sower, to broadcast, to get the word of God out. And these people, it's as though they heard the word of God and at the first level of surrender, they're like, no, I'm out. The word of God is actually revolting to me. It's a scandal. And I think even the flip side of that is that it causes a scandal within the body of Christ when someone acts that way, like, look at me. And all their friends are like, oh, did you hear about so-and-so? Like, did you see all their cars parked at Mountainside this week? Because the whole town knows if your car's parked at Mountainside, by the way. Um, and you think I'm joking, but I'm not. And all of a sudden, within so much time, however much time passes, we don't know, but it's almost like there's another scandal that happens because now that, that person it just is revolted by, is disgusted by the word of God. Verse 18, the seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of his life the lure of wealth and the desire for other things. So no fruit is produced. No fruit is produced. A good tree produces good fruit, but in this case, there's no fruit here. Why would you ever try to grow a crop in a thorn or a weed patch? You know, like you look at your lawn, like right now our, we have a back lawn that we planted that seed a year ago, but right around that whole thing in our backyard, there's these massive amounts of just weeds and thorns and, and like, it would be so ridiculous to me to be like, man, I wish that looked like my lawn. And so I just go out there and just, just cast seed into the middle of all of this junk, expecting somehow this miracle to happen that it will change into this. No, I, I would never, it's so foolish in a way to think that that seed falling on that crowded, divided ground would ever become something produced good fruit. Again, it's the same sower, the same seed, but it's broadcast on soil now that is crowded, it's divided between different kinds of thorns and different weeds. He describes them as three specific things, the worries the wealth, and the wants. There's no room for the seed to grow because it's, it, this whole story started all the way back in the garden with, I want to hold on to God and also what I want. And then the children of Israel, right? Choose you this day whom you will serve. You want to serve the gods on that side, then go. 
but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You can't, you can't hold on to God and the wealth, worries, and wants of this world. It's, less, it's the same as me walking to the side of my yard and throwing seed and expecting it to turn into a beautiful lawn. There's no room. There's no room for there to be growth. But people in that situation with those hearts say, no, I love this world more. I love me more. And just like the illustration of follow me and I will make you fishers of men, they're like, no, I'm not going to surrender. Step number one, you got to surrender. Follow me. I'm not going to surrender. And it describes that those thorns, those weeds literally choke the life out. I mentioned before that worries mean to strangle but all of those three things can get a stranglehold on anyone's life. But then we come to the final, the final soil in verse 20. The seed fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as has been planted. These figures represent yields of 3,000, 6,000, and 10,000%. I mean, usually the yields were less than eightfold, somewhere between, some would say, seven, seven and a half. But a crop that produces tenfold would have been extraordinary. God speaks of supernatural fruit, not natural fruit, which should get us pretty excited because this fruit is not necessarily harvested on this earth, but would be harvested in heaven as well. It'll remain and it'll endure for eternity. You can look at John 15, 16 for that. Mark it down. When we sow the gospel, it goes forward empowered by the spirit of God and the results are supernatural, even far more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think according to the power, the power that works within us, Ephesians 3, 20. Sow the gospel seed today. While it's still called today, because the night is coming when no man can work, John 9, 4. Ephesians, Paul tells us, redeem the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Make the most of the opportunity that we have. I hope that the parable is so encouraging to those who are here who believe, who have this power working in them. It does not matter the sower, the seed of the word of God is the same. The gospel message is the same. But what can happen when God gets a hold of someone's heart? They surrender, they're changed, they're, they follow Jesus, they're changed by Jesus, and they're on mission with Jesus. They become the sower that God created them to be. They're casting, broadcasting the seed of the word of God. Um, we all can think of people who that supernatural, uh, exponential uh, return has happened in their life. I think it's probably what is so moving in the times that we've gone to Timothy Initiative to, to see and meet some of the people there, to see people who have um, been at the, the edge of their life because of the, for the sake of the gospel. And then to see and to hear the um, multitudes of people that their life has impacted and that's why it's, it's a supernatural thing. I have the opportunity in my life to, to lead 
people to Jesus. There are some people that I led to Jesus when I was in college that I have not been with since 1999. There was, there was no Facebook back then. So it was very hard to stay in contact, unlike it is today. I, and now some of the younger people are like, how did you, why would you not stay in contact with them? Like, um, what God has done in their life is a part of what God supernaturally does through me giving just broadcasting seed. It fell on good ground. They responded to the gospel by belief. They followed and surrendered. They were uh, changed by Jesus and on mission with Jesus. And I don't know what that's produced in their life. But on the other side of eternity, I find out that the kingdom of God has grown because of the seed that I just, I'm just called to, to sow it. And God is called to bring the increase. Why is it that the guys in the New Testament are arguing about who got to plant and who's watering? Because it doesn't matter. We're all farmer sowers in here. We all have the same seed. And sometimes I get hung up on, and, and honestly, uh, I, I'm spiritually frustrated with some who don't respond in the way that I hope that they would respond, but that's not my job. I, my job is to broadcast seed. Some of you out here are the greatest broadcasters. You humble me. Because it's as if in every conversation, you have the ability to point to Jesus. Broadcast seed. There's people in this town that have had seed broadcast on them and it's fallen on different soils that haven't been the right soil to produce. So I'm going to keep praying and, and, and seeking God to help plow. What can I do, God, to bring truth that would maybe sink a little deeper or plow that, that soil? What can happen? What, how, can I, how can I be more like you to, to help in those situations? But all the while, I'm going to keep broadcasting seed. The word of God is living. It's active. It's powerful. It's what can change their hearts from hard to being good soil. The word of God. When I was in a, a season of rebellion in my life as a teenager, my mom would always share the same verses. The same mom who told me, don't be lion's food, uh, watched me get devoured um, in my life many times with bad choices and decisions. But she always would share the same verses, and I know I've shared them with you before. Happy is the man that fears God always, but he that hardens his heart will fall into calamity. He that covers his sins will not prosper, but he that confesses and forsakes will find mercy. Would you pray with me? Father God, I, I ask today that if there's anybody here who has a hard heart, I pray today they find a place that they're loved and who they're loved by is way more important than the place that they understand that you loved them so much you gave your life for them. Lord, somehow in a miraculous way, speak to their hearts. I don't understand how all that works sometimes. Whether you use uh, some of us, um, I know you call it the foolishness of preaching. Lord, as people hear the word, interact with people who have been changed by you, it can change them to soften their hearts. But Lord, today I pray that if there's somebody here who's hearing the word and the Holy Spirit's pulling on their heart, I pray that they would believe you that they'd put their faith in you. We sang earlier that you are the way, the truth, and the life. 
Lord, I pray they understand there is no way to get to the Father. There's no way to get to heaven. There's no way to have eternal life except through the person of Jesus. Today, I pray that they would believe by faith. They would allow that seed to get past all the hardness or the, the thorns or the shallowness of the life that they have and sink deep into the core of who they are, that they would stop right now and listen to you to understand who you are. I pray for the supernatural, God, that you would, as we often sing as well, that the spiritual dead would become alive. Lord, I thank you for that truth in my life, the spiritual birth that happened. Lord, I thank you that you loved me despite me and that you continue to love me despite me. And I thank you on behalf of all of us here today with grateful hearts. Lord, I thank you for the cross, what you endured for us to have freedom. Lord, we love you and we are thankful today for Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.